of that, that last little song, uh, Marvin woke up in the middle of the night singing that, so obviously we were supposed to hear that today. I, I noticed just sitting there that we have an integrated group here, uh, more or less. We have kind of a Canadian group over here, and there's a Mexican group right in here, and the Americans are all over the place. They don't know where they're supposed to sit. <laughs> I, I was talking to Carla before the service. You know, she missed one little part, and I tried to remind her. I said, you do know that all the readings you're doing today are going to be in English. <laughs> Thank you, Carla. We've been uh, doing a series on discipleship. And I don't know if you've liked it, but I believe that we have. And, you know, I've, I've never done a series on discipleship in all the years that I've lived. I guess I've talked about some different topics, but never like this. And I've really enjoyed doing it. Today we're going to be reading from John 15, verse 8. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I was reading this last week about a girl. She's 19 years old. She lives in Iran. Her name is Fatima Mohammadi. She's in jail. In her 19 years, this is the second time that she has been in an Iranian jail and the problem is that she's a Christian and she's been attending house churches and so for the second time she is given a sentence and she's being put in the prison that has the reputation of torturing the most. It's a terrible thing for a Christian to be persecuted and there are Christians today being persecuted all around the world in China, in Indonesia, in most of the Muslim countries uh, in, in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Libya. It's a terrible thing to be arrested and persecuted for your beliefs. But there's an old aphorism and it says, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I was reading that Jimmy Carter, when he lost the governor's race in Georgia in 1966, began to re-examine his life, and he actually looked at that question, and it changed his life completely. Now, you may or may not like his politics, but uh, when he left the presidency, he's been spending his life trying to serve others and to follow that instruction in his life. It seems to me that if we were wondering whether we we're going to be convicted, it would be good to have a courtroom today with all of us. Let's say that you were arrested for being a believer and the prosecution is going after you in the court and so he gives these various exhibits. Now every one of these exhibits are ones that Jesus gave for being a disciple. First of all, exhibit number one. Jesus said a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And I will admit to you, I have kind of misunderstood this all my life. Until I read it this time, it, it never really struck me. He is not talking here about loving God. He said elsewhere, 
You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. But this is not it. He's not even talking about loving your neighbor. Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the great example he gave of this was the Samaritan who was a non-Jew. He saw a Jewish man on the side of the road. Everybody else had passed him by. But the Samaritan that did not know him and was not even of the same race stopped, helped him, brought him to Jericho, took care of all of his needs, and was willing to pay for everything. A stranger. This verse is not talking about that either. He says, to love one another. He's talking about loving other disciples. And there ought always to be a special love relationship between believers. Christ is our, our, our God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And because of that, He's made all of us a part of a family. Here in this church, we're family. <laughs> That's why we sometimes call each other brother and sister. Because we are a family together. And Christ has made us that way. And we are special. We're to treat each other in a special way. Not harshly, but always looking out for the needs of one another. Supporting, encouraging, strengthening one another. Paul recognized the special relationship as well. He said that uh, let us do good to all men and especially to those that are, are the household of believers. We are to treat each other in a special way. Well, some have called this the 11th commandment. You know the 10? And Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Well, how much is he saying that we should love one another? I had some small kids, three boys. That was a chore. Sometimes we would say, well, how much do you love me? And they would stretch out their arms and they would say, I love you this much. You ask the question, how much did Jesus love you? He stretched out his arms on the cross and he said, this much. He loves us so much. We need to love one another because of Him. Because His love transforms us and allows us to be able to love one another in a way that we could not otherwise. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 4 or 5, that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. That's what holds us together. Then what's the result of all of this? The result is, Jesus says, uh, a new commandment I gave you that you love one another, and by this all men may know that you are my disciples. The result is that we are a testimony to the world by the way that we treat one another. I think the love he's talking about might be described by the Greek word storge. That means family love. That may not be as high as the ultimate love, God's love for all of us, but it's still pretty strong. Can you imagine a mother, how much she loves her child? That's probably the closest to godly love that we'll find in this world. It is impossible for the child to cause his mother to stop loving him. Even if he disappoints her, even if he does all kinds of horrible things, she loves him 
with a love that is unconditional. We are to love one another in the same way. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said, people looked at Christians and they said, oh, look, look how they love one another. That's the mark. That's the mark of believers. Now, I've, I've, been, I've never been in a church where people split. But I've seen it a lot. It's always a disappointment. And people in the community will always say, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. We're supposed to be demonstrating the exact opposite. We are to demonstrate it by showing such unconditional love that the world will look at us and see a reflection of Jesus Christ. I heard about a little boy some years ago. He was attending a local church and his family moved. But still, he would walk all the way across town to go to the same church. And a friend said to him, what are you doing that for? There are a lot of good churches on the way. You could go to one of them. He said, yes, there are some good churches. The little boy said, well, why don't you go to one of them? He said, because in that church, they love a fellow. That should be the mark of a believer. And if you stand before a court and you're accused of being a Christian, what are people going to say? Are they going to say not guilty because you don't see any love in that person? But even more importantly, what's going to happen when you stand before God? Secondly, exhibit number two. Remember in the law, on, you watch television, you see the lawyers giving, this is exhibit A or one or exhibit B or two. Well, exhibit two is that we should produce abundant fruit. Not just a little bit. It says, this is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You look at the life of Jesus. You see someone that bore much fruit. All of his life he bore fruit. Uh, first of all, he went seeking after people that were lost. Remember when the paralyzed man was let down through the roof? And the first thing that Jesus said to him was, your sins are forgiven. And that's the great need of people. And Jesus said that he came into the world in order to seek and to save that which is lost. There should be maybe a lostology. And, and Jesus did that when my friend Dwayne came here last year. He did a little course on personal witnessing and evangelism. And we're all to be involved in that process because Jesus was aware of what it was like to be separated from God forever. And he did everything that he could to keep men from doing that. Jesus also healed people that were sick. And I think one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is where it says, and Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus' heart went out to those that were sick and he healed all kinds of diseases. And I'm grateful that here in our church we do what we can. We don't perform all the miracles that Jesus could, but we try to help one another. We have a parish nurse. We give shots and uh, we help people that uh, have dental problems and those that can't see, we provide them with glasses. And we, uh, we have some people that actually 
take others to the hospital or to the doctor and visit those that are sick. That's exactly what we ought to be doing because in doing that, we're bearing fruit like Christ. And then Jesus also bore fruit by uh, encouraging people. And we need to encourage one another. When we come together on Sunday, I hope that you wake up on Sunday morning and you may be singing a song like Martin or maybe you're just praising God. We ought to be thinking, my goodness, I get to worship the Almighty God today. And we need to encourage one another. And the, the glory of the Lord needs to be shining on our faces just as it did with Moses in the Old Testament. And then Jesus fed those that were hungry. We know of at least two occasions where He fed lots of people and probably on a regular basis He fed others as well. And we try to do that. We, we cook meals in our kitchen and we distribute those meals. We have dispensers and uh, Gary and Marcy distribute those every month. And I think we're now... 65 or 70 or somewhere thereabouts. And we feed kids in some of the villages. And we ought to be doing that because that is exactly what Jesus did as well. He was bearing much fruit. But Jesus talked about the consequences of not bearing any fruit. He told a story about a barren fig tree. The farmer planted this tree and he watched over it for three years but then after three years, there was no fruit. And so he went to the gardener and he said, cut it down and burn it and throw it in the fire. And the gardener said, well, let's give it one more chance, one more year. He said, I'll tend it, I'll watch over it, water it, take care of it. And if after one year it bears fruit, then we have another fruit tree. But if it does not, then I'll cut it down and throw it into the fire. What happens? If you go through life and you stand before God with empty hands because there is no fruit in your life. I'm glad that today we have GPSs everywhere. Every phone has you know, Google Maps and Waze. And those are pretty good, although I have gotten lost a number of times in Guadalajara using one of those. Because sometimes we take a, a wrong direction or go in a a detour that doesn't take us to the right place, and then we have to get straightened out again. But there's an even more important GPS, and that is God's positioning system. The Holy Spirit is living within all of us. And as we go through life, we are under the direction of the Spirit of God. And there are many detours that we sometimes take. Sometimes that is a detour of money. Listen, money is not evil in and of itself. It is the love of money. And Jesus said, don't focus upon money because those things can be lost, they can be destroyed, but focus on treasures in heaven. Sometimes we take a detour of fame. And I, I, I'm disturbed today. I don't know if you are as well, but I'm disturbed how people seem to idolize actors and actresses and singers. Listen, what exactly have they done for the kingdom of God? What unusual thing. They may have some talent in one area, but they're using it on the wrong way. We should not be that way. And then we are distracted and detoured by amusements. And you know, That's one reason that most of us came to this area. Great weather. Uh, all kinds of activities. There are golf courses everywhere. People go fishing. There are some that have yachts and boats and 
all of those amusements are, are nice. Television is sometimes an amusement. But remember, that is a detour. And it's not something that's being led by the Holy Spirit. Not saying that you should not enjoy some good things that God gives, but that ought not to be the focus of your life. So how do you go about knowing what fruit you ought to be producing? I, I don't have a clear-cut answer for you. wish I did. When I was in the prison, as a, well, I went there first as a chaplain, and later as a warden. When I went there, we had some inmate chaplains that came from Angola prison. It was known as the bloodiest prison in all the United States. But they put a seminary there. And it began to change the whole culture. And people were graduating with a bachelor's degree in theology. And they sent them out as missionaries to the other prisons in the state. And when each one came, and we ended up, I think at one time, with eight or nine inmate chaplains, they transformed the culture there. But when they came, I would tell them, I'm not your boss. I'm your fellow laborer. God called you here, and you figure out what God wants you to do, and you do it. And it was amazing to me to see that they all took different responsibilities and jobs. Uh, there was one that would go around to the cell blocks and visit the people that nobody else saw. And they would talk to them sometimes. Uh, they would preach a sermon. And some of those same ones actually would work in our hospice program. People that were dying. And they would sit there with them. They would pray with them. They would bathe them. They would clean them up. Sometimes staying all night long. And that was their primary ministry. There were others that uh, some got a master's degree and they began to teach. We had college courses uh, with a, through a community college and they would teach four or five classes every year in the college. Others were involved in discipleship and on an average night we had five religious activities every night of the week. Our building was being used, and praise God. We had another one that actually became a pastor, one of the church churches. Another one started a cowboy church. And each one of them was doing the job that God called them to do. And each one of us is to do the same. I don't know exactly what your talents and your gifts are, but I do know this. You are going to be held accountable for the Almighty God for what you do, how you conduct yourself. This last week we had the men's breakfast and uh, Ernesto was quoting from James that had been going through that and the quote from James was that uh, faith without works is dead and I believe that Jesus would say to each one of us as well that a tree or a vine without fruit can only be cut off and burned down I read about uh, Adoniram Judson Judson went to seminary in Boston he felt that God was calling him to minister in some way. And when he graduated, he was offered uh, an assistant pastorate at, at a large church. And his family was excited, thinking that he would not have to move away anywhere. But he said, no, that's not what God's calling me to do. I don't want to do a good job. I want to do the best job. He went to Burma. And he was instrumental in leading some 50,000 people to Christ because he was willing to follow the call of God and bear much fruit. Now, one day, let's say that you're in a court right now for being a Christian. First of all, if you love the, don't love the disciples, 
you won't be convicted. If you're not bearing any fruit, you will not be convicted of being a Christian. And then thirdly, exhibit three is to keep his commandments. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <clears throat> Keeping his commandments. Have you ever wondered what the commandments of Christ are? Well, we do know about the 11th commandment that we studied a while ago, that to love other disciples. That's number 11. And I've really been intrigued by this over the last few months, and I was reading... And one guy discovered what he thought were 49 commandments of Christ, not including love, so I guess that would make 50 total. And Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Keep my commandments. I'm, you're going to be thankful. I am not going to look at all 50 commandments this morning. But I do want to look at at least three of them, because as I was looking through them, three stood out as something that Christians sometimes do not do. You keep Christ's commandments, and in that, that is evidence, that is proof, that is exhibit number three, that you are indeed a disciple. First of all, Jesus gave the commandment, you must be born again. John chapter 3, there was a, a rich man by the name of Nicodemus, and he came before Jesus and he said, I can see that because of the works that you're doing, that you must be from God. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. People kind of look at this and think, is there a difference between a born again Christian and another kind of Christian? The answer is no. This is a command given to all of us. And this is a metaphor. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born of the flesh, and you must be born of the Spirit. Now, the birth in the flesh took place in a birthing room, and every one of us was born to our mothers at some time in the past, some longer ago than others. And every one of us was born that first time. But if you are a disciple of Christ, you have been born again with a second birth. And this one is brought about by the Spirit of God, still in the Spirit's birthing room, and you are made a new creature in Christ. There are other metaphors that are used in the Bible to describe the same process. But using a different metaphor, one of those is justification. Now this is not in a birthing room, this is in a courtroom. And so you are being tried because of your sin. And of course you're guilty. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet we have a defense attorney, Jesus Christ, our advocate with the Father. And the price for our sin has already been paid by the precious blood of Christ. Another one of these metaphors is redemption. And here the setting is the slave market. And we are sin. We are slaves to sin and death and Satan. And so we are bought with a price once again by the death of Christ on the cross. The price he paid was a tremendous price. But we are made free. We are set free not because we are not guilty. 
but because Jesus already paid the price for us. Then there's reconciliation. And this relationship takes place probably most commonly in a marriage. Hopefully it is. And uh, it shows the partners being split apart. And then they are reconciled. They are brought back together again. The Bible says that you and I start out as enemies of God, not as His friend, but as enemies. And it never says that God is reconciled to us. Always it says we are reconciled to God. Because we are the ones out of alignment, not God. And so the reconciliation describes another metaphor. First commandment. You must be born again. Not an option, a commandment. Secondly, we are not to judge one another. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. The reason that we don't judge anybody else or should not, now I would say this is probably one of the worst sins in the church. People talking about one another, condemning one another, judging one another. This ought not to be. We're not qualified to judge. We don't know all the circumstances. We can't even judge ourselves in most occasions. So we are certainly not to judge other believers that have been made in the image of God and redeemed by the blood of Christ. The example that Jesus shows us was the day that an adulterous woman was brought before him. And the religious leaders were, they said, well, the law says she is to be put to death. She's to be stoned to death. Do you agree with that, Jesus? And Jesus started writing in the dust. And he said, uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Some months ago, we gave out some little stones with John 8, 7. Just to remind us, we are never to cast stones at another believer. Because that believer is a child of God. Then finally, we are to serve one another unnaturally. And I would say that uh, this, this is an area where I need to make some improvement. I, I'm grateful when we have our men's breakfast because there are men that go there early and they do the cooking. And then there are other people, that sometimes the same people, that afterwards do all the washing and cleaning up the way that we all should be serving one another Jesus said even he did not come into the world to be served but to serve he said the greatest among you is he that is the servant of all Dwight L. Moody was a, perhaps the greatest evangelist of the 19th century at one occasion in Massachusetts they were having a Bible conference And some of the men came from the continent, and as was their custom at the before they went to bed, they would lay their shoes outside the door because in on the continent, people would clean them and polish them for the next day. There was no such custom in the United States. And as Moody went out and he saw these shoes, uh, he didn't want to embarrass anybody, so he talked to some of the seminary students and mentioned that but they didn't do anything. And so he went and got the shoes and he began to clean and polish each one of them himself. 
he never told anybody what he was doing. The only way he was found out was a friend walked in while he was still doing it. And even the next day, Moody did not say anything. That is the kind of service that we are to do. We serve one another. And we don't try to demonstrate this before men. We demonstrate only before God. And so we have the great question. What happens when we stand before God one day? Exhibit one, do we love the other disciples? Exhibit two, do we have abundant fruit? Exhibit three, do we keep Christ's commandments? The goal for every one of us is that God would say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Will He say that to me? Bow with me. Gracious God and Almighty Savior, we thank You for this day. We set aside the time now to worship You, to honor You, to commit our lives unto You once again. Oh God, do forgive us for all of our sins and help each one of us to be worthy disciples before You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.